we supposed to get married? I'm going to just swipe I just want somebody to share my life. It seems not to be a hot girl summer, but rather maybe a hot auntie summer or a hot granny summer. You can keep waiting for the fairy tale, or you can get on board with the new rules of relationships. If you've read my advice in the LA Times, then you know this ain't your mama's love advice. This is Dates and Mates with Damona Hoffman. Hello, lovers. Welcome to another episode of Dates and Mates presented by Text Now. The app that lets you give out your number safely with a free alternative number you can use just for dating. You have heard many sources say that this summer is going to be hot girl summer as we are all bursting out of our bubbles and ready for the post-pandemic vaccine-induced season of love. But before we get carried away, today I'm talking to Anna Iovini. She's a writer at Mashable who asks the question, Do people even want a hot vac summer? She's here to report on the findings from a survey she and the research team at Mashable have conducted. But first, you have got to know these headlines. Like, are you scared of running into someone you know on dating apps? Well, there's an app for that. And engagement rings for men. Who are they for? And would you wear one? Then in Dear Demona, I'll answer your questions, including... Is it a red flag if he keeps condoms by the bed? And how to feel less socially awkward now that you have to talk to people in person, face-to-face again. All right, lovers, you ready? Then let's dish. D's dating dish. USA Today reports on Tinder's new block contacts feature. Have you ever had that sense of dread or anxiety when you're swiping on an app and you see, I don't know, your ex, your boss, your friend's ex-boyfriend, your cousin, like all these people that you just don't want to have to swipe left on. And then maybe they've swiped right on you and they know that you swiped left on them because you don't match. But then they're like, why do they hate me? I thought we were just friends. Or then you swipe right on them and then you end up in this awkward thing where you're like, I was just swiping right to say hi. But they're like, I'm swiping right because I'm kind of secretly into you, even though I used to date your best friend. And it's weird. Am I right? It's super weird. (laughs) So don't worry. Tinder has it all taken care of for you. They are going to be releasing this feature for all in all markets. It was inspired by a survey that they commissioned back in May. They found that 40% of the respondents said that they have come across an ex-partner on an app. 24% have seen a family member or colleague on the app. 10% have seen a professor's profile. Oh my gosh, definitely swipe left on that. And nearly four out of five surveyed said that they would prefer not to see or be seen by those contacts. Very much in contrast with Facebook's strategy On Facebook, they actually have a feature where you can let someone know that you have a crush on them, (laughs) and that will match you with the person who is in your network. Tinder is doing the exact opposite. I think this is a great resource if it's something that is blocking you from using the app. So many times people will say to me, well, I don't want to be on the app because what if people see me there? And if you eliminate the people who are in your contacts, Who are the people that you are afraid to see you there? Other people who are also single and looking to date? It just takes away the excuse that so many have presented to me as a viable reason for not doing dating apps. So you know what happens when we take away excuses? We create opportunities. And I think as we'll be talking to Anna Iovini about in a little bit, 
there's certainly an opportunity approaching in the future, in the very near future, for your summer of love. Well, let's say your summer of love has already happened and you're deep in love with your boo and you are a man. Would you wear an engagement ring? A few weeks ago, the Washington Post reported on Tiffany's new engagement rings for men. They're not just for same-sex couples. They say the straights are into it too. Let me just tell you a little bit about these rings. They're up to five carats, anywhere between $15,000 and $278,000 for this ring, for this engagement ring. By the way, don't spend $278,000 on an engagement ring. Please go buy a house or do something that will build equity and sustain your future. But okay, they launched these rings just in time for Pride Month. And it's an effort, I think, by Tiffany's to be like more inclusive, but also to address the changing gender norms. We did an episode last year featuring a woman who proposed to her man. And y'all had some big feelings about it. I don't know if you've heard that episode. It was from about a year ago. It's still up on the feed. But some of y'all had some big feelings about women making the first move. And I was really excited to be able to feature a couple who did. And they've been making it work. But even so, you know, you go into the market and there's very understated wedding rings for men. But these are a diamond. These are the symbol of forever. And if you ask me, they are tacky looking as hell, but I like the idea behind it. But it all just makes me wonder why we put so much emphasis into the way things have traditionally been done. We are in a really interesting time in history where we get to choose. We didn't have choice before in how many options we had to date and ultimately marry. We didn't have options in how we expressed our gender or what our relationship gender dynamics look like. And you know what? I say embrace it. I don't know if I would recommend spending that much money on an engagement ring, but I appreciate that Tiffany is realizing that there's a market for this. They tried it in the past. In the 1920s, they tried to make engagement rings popular for men. It was a big old flop. But you know what? A hundred years have passed. So let's all take a step into the future. Let's examine the current traditions and gender dynamics, and let's be forward-thinking. That's my two cents. All right, in a moment, we will be forward-thinking about this summer, this summer of love, this hot girl summer, or is it a hot granny summer? Anna Iovini from Mashable will tell us all about it. But first, I have to tell you about my Patreon Friends with Benefits group. It's just for my Dates and Mates listeners, those who want a little bit more support in love. I have all sorts of goodies for you, including my content club where I tell you the books and podcasts and movies and things that you should be watching, consuming, enjoying to stay up to speed on love. You can also join me for a live Q&A every single week, every Thursday. I do it on Facebook and you can ask me any question that you want to ask me privately, maybe not on the show. And you get access to a whole back catalog of juicy Dates and Mates episodes that are not available on the live feed. So why not join me? Become a friend with benefits. You can sign up at patreon.com slash datesandmates for just five bucks. Check the link in the show notes. Don't go anywhere. I'll be back with Anna Iovini from Mashable 
in just a moment. We're back. And I'm here with Anna Iovini. She's the culture reporter at Mashable, and she primarily covers sex and relationships. Anna speaks my language, y'all. I love her work, and she's particularly interested in the way tech, and now, of course, the pandemic, has changed sex and dating. Fun fact, actually, you know I love doing these dating terms on the show and letting you know what terminology people are using so you can be up to speed. She actually coined the dating term orbiting, which we covered on the show. And that word, no big deal, was shortlisted for Oxford's 2018 Word of the Year. Please help me give big smooches to the one and only Anna Iovini. Thank you so much for having me. So, you know, I'm into this data, girl. (laughs) I love really diving into what's happening on a global scale around (laughs) dating and really letting that help people choose how they want to move through this new dating landscape that we're entering in. You also have done this survey of over a thousand Mashable readers, yes? Absolutely. I partnered with our research team at Mashable, our PR and distribution team to get the survey out to people. So it's a representative survey of the United States, people 18 and up. And yeah, they really helped me out in getting these responses. So here was something that was very interesting to me, Anna. Prior to the pandemic, it felt to me and some of the data that I was looking at was saying that most people were meeting on dating apps, which my listeners know is my favorite way to meet people. But of the sampling of folks that you looked at, that wasn't necessarily the case before the pandemic. Right. Yeah, it was really interesting. More people were actually meeting through social venues, say bars, restaurants, clubs. 48% were meeting that way, as opposed to only 42% were meeting on dating apps or websites, which also surprised me too, as a online dating nerd and a data nerd. (laughs) And since you've been writing for a couple of years for Mashable on the topic of sex, relationships, love, dating, all of the, all of that good stuff that we talk mm-hmm. about on the show. I'm curious if that was what you were seeing before the pandemic, just generally among Mashable readers or in your own social circle. Was that something that was very different than you were used to seeing? It was different. I definitely thought that dating apps were the number one way for meeting others. Online dating stories do really well. Stories about Tinder and Hinge and all of those things. And yeah, I just had a feeling that everyone who was dating and who was available were on dating apps. And the survey taught me that that was not the case. Well, also, I wonder if those articles did so well, because as as I'm sure you have seen, I also see a frustration around dating apps. And I believe that there's mm-hmm. there's a way to do it more effectively. But that doesn't mean that you're doing it completely without stress. <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> so let's talk about what happened when you surveyed these folks and when you saw how things had changed, because I would imagine in the pandemic, even if they were not I'll just say primary online dating users, even though those numbers were mm-hmm. pretty, pretty large. A lot of the people were online dating. But during mm-hmm. the pandemic, good luck meeting somebody in a bar when all of the bars <laughs> in the town are closed down for months. Yeah, absolutely. Over one third of people swore off dating during the pandemic, which I'm sure is for other reasons. I think one of them being that you had to do online. I think that scares some people. And when you say swore off dating, you mean deleted dating profiles, you mean we're like, I'm just not going to date right now at all. Correct. Yeah. We The question specifically said, so we're off dating slash deleted all dating apps. Wow. So that was in the early part of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Do you think that 
in say the second half, I, I, I like to think of the <laughs> pandemic in various waves. So in the second mm-hmm. wave of, and I would classify that as like in the fall, as things were getting cold, people in places mm-hmm. where they couldn't, I live in LA. So, you know, we were just like, la la la, let's <laughs> go for a hike. But, right. you know, a lot of my listeners in Boston and New York and DC were like, uh, I'm not really sure where to go for dates now. Everything's closed. It's too cold to go for a walk outside. Is this mm-hmm. even worth it? Did people then shift to adopting online dating more? It actually seemed that the whole of last year, so those first and second waves, as you were saying, that number remained steady. It was around 37% for both the first six months and the, the past six months. So who knows if it was the same people, but it seemed like the people who didn't want to go online then definitely didn't want to go online during the winter months. I was also interested in the apps or sites that were popular, mm-hmm. these daters. Mm-hmm. And you're looking at daters. It's a wide age range, right? It was yes. like 18 to... Yeah, 65 plus, honestly. 18 to 65 plus. So tell me, I mean, folks know that OkCupid is is my main Mm -hmm. squeeze. But (laughs) but you saw that there was a lot of enthusiasm around Tinder and also Facebook dating. Yes, surprisingly. So Tinder was the number one dating app used by survey respondents during the pandemic. But Facebook dating was uh, the second most popular. And it was definitely most popular with people 35 to 44 and 45 to 54. Interesting, because they're already on the Facebooks anyway. Mm -hmm. But then the, the young folks are on the Tinders. (laughs) <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. And those numbers were like 73% of 18 to 24 year olds and 62% of 25 to 34 year olds. Wow. That was very interesting. Report back, y'all, if you're on the Facebook dating and let me know how that's going for you. So let's move into, say, third wave pandemic. As people are getting yeah. vaccinated mm-hmm. and things are opening up, I feel like this is sort of changing the dynamic. But what you saw among these survey respondents is that not only are things changing right now, the pandemic really has changed them and their beliefs and their goals about love overall. Yes, for sure. And that's actually what OkCupid saw as well. When they, oh, really? When they surveyed. <laughs> <laughs> yes, this is actually Are you talking very, about the uh, data center? <laughs> I, indeed, I am. They have a very interesting statistic where 84% were looking for a similarly serious relationship or a long-term relationship, as I asked about in in my survey. But 27% of those people changed their minds due to their experiences during the pandemic. And now they want something serious as opposed to pre-pandemic when they didn't. I really liked how you phrased this too in your Mashable article about the study. You said maybe this narrative of the slutty summer that's all over social media may look a little different. And you were saying it could Mm -hmm. be like a hot granny summer. What do you mean by that? So all of the age groups over 44, the number one thing they're looking for post-pandemic is a casual relationship. So it seems not to be a hot girl summer, but rather maybe a hot auntie summer or a hot granny summer. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, am I approaching grannyhood already? <laughs> no, no, I'm not, no. I'm, I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. But uh, <laughs> I, I'm sure you're not. I actually heard a new term for like, I'm sort of in that generation between Gen X and millennial. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we've held, heard like the elder millennial from Eliza, mm-hmm. my favorite comic. And... Somebody was 
calling them geriatric millennials. So I'm like, that's what I am. I'm a geriatric millennial. <laughs> I think I think that fits. I'm on the opposite end. I'm more like on the millennial Gen Z cusp. And it would fit to call me a geriatric Gen Z, I think. Like, I feel that. It's weird when you don't fit into one category. Mm-hmm. But I'm sure like with this data, you were seeing really people through the pandemic have spent time getting to know themselves and what they mm-hmm. want. I'm going to throw you a curveball. I'm going to throw you a curveball. Yeah. I have a theory, Anna. Go with me for a minute. Because I'm seeing a lot of this data about whether it's the slutty summer or the hot granny summer, or just that like people are coming out of the pandemic with this clarity of looking for a relationship. You referenced the OkCupid data as well. And that's Mm -hmm. what people are reporting. That's what they're saying. Do you think that people are reporting it now, but things may be a little bit different if we were to talk, say, in August? I think that's a very real possibility for sure. But I also, at the same time, I do wonder what the effects of this pandemic will be more long term. Isolation really breeds for self-reflection and really learning about yourself. But at the same time, when life starts up again, you don't have that time or that space to really answer those questions or think about what you want in in that way. So I think it's definitely possible for people to just say they want something serious now. And then when when the bars are open and everything opens up again, they're like, "Eh, actually, I don't really mind having one night stands anymore. Well, I think it will be a variety for different people. Everyone has different reactions to the pandemic. And I think everyone will have a different experience moving forward. That's true. That's true. But I just want to give everybody permission to to do what you need to do this summer as safely as you can in the way that you need to do it. And I'll just I'll just leave it at that because I don't want people thinking like they can't have a slutty summer if that's what they really need right now. <laughs> well, they definitely can. Yeah. I love also that you looked at how people were feeling about dating. Mm-hmm. And I would say the news is optimistic among the people you surveyed. Yes, it is, thankfully. So the most most popular emotion or the, the emotion people are feeling the most seems to be hopefulness, which is great. 48% of respondents say that. And then the same amount of people who say they're nervous, which is 39%, are the same amount of people who say they're excited, which I, I think those two emotions go hand in hand. So I think there's a mix, there's a definitely a mix of emotions, but I think in, in a situation like this, that's definitely warranted. And I think people do want to get out there and date again. In a way, I'm kind of glad that we had a moment to regroup. I mean, I'm not glad the pandemic happened. And I know it's mm-hmm. been a really traumatic time for a lot of people and is still a traumatic mm-hmm. time for some people in certain parts of the country and outside of the U.S. But mm-hmm. I'm always like, when bad things happen or things that you don't want to have happen, happen. What can we take from it? What can we learn from it? And I think we Mm -hmm. were needing a slowdown. Like dating apps, I think we're responsible for the increased speed of dating because it just was so Mm -hmm. easy to make a connection. Like it takes a lot more effort if you're meeting people in bars. Like you have to be a little bit extroverted, outgoing. You have to be willing to have conversations with strangers. Mm -hmm. You You have to like put on shoes and a bra and like <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. lipstick yeah. I guess go out of your comfort zone yeah. yeah it took a lot of effort out of us and this slowdown period I hope 
has helped people really reframe what they're looking for, what they need, mm-hmm. and enter into dating more mindfully, whether they're on dating apps or off of dating apps. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I can totally agree. You do. Good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I think I think statistics we've seen, not from this survey, but I know um, I know Hinge has looked into this a lot. And they've seen that daters are actually more intentional and they are ghosting less and they are having more meaningful conversations. I think the pandemic has let people put down their walls a little bit and be a little bit more vulnerable, especially because we were all going through the same horrible thing at once. And who knows uh, what that means moving forward. But I, I hope this trend stays. So let's let's look forward then to as people mm-hmm. are moving into the real world again, you know, I'm hearing that even in New York where things were very, where the pandemic hit very hard, that things are starting mm-hmm. to feel like they're opening back up again. That's where you are. Yes. And they are. Yeah. It, it's in the seventies today. People are out. People have their shorts on. They have their masks off. They're ready. Okay. That's a big change from where we were even like a month or two ago. Mm-hmm. So we're mm-hmm. open to being being out in the world again, but there's still this fear, this photo, which uh, Hinge coined a little while <laughs> yeah. ago, this fear of dating again. Can you explain what mm-hmm. that is and what it means for dating, you think? Yeah. So it's just the hesitancy, the anxiety, which which a lot of people feel uh, b- more broadly around the pandemic. Of course, not everyone is going outside. Uh, there are certainly people who are still afraid to for, for their own personal reasons. That can translate into dating as well. It's I think some of it is COVID fear, but otherwise it's just fear of you know being out of practice, of not having done this in a while, of not having met new people in person, maybe not having sex in a while. I think that's very real fear. But I think I think there are ways to maybe not to prevent it, to lessen it, like, you know, taking baby steps, starting slow, maybe not arranging five dates in a week. Tactics like that, I think, can lessen FOTA and just realizing that everyone's in the same boat right now. And everyone is might be if, if they're not if they don't have full on FOTA, they might have like a teeny bit of it. Yeah, I, I saw some of the respondents that you surveyed had had interesting statements on this a female respondent between 18 and 24 said my social skills have gotten worse i believe anna that social skills they do atrophy i've been saying this for Mm -hmm. a really long time that flirting is a learned skill and if you're not practicing it or if you're Mm -hmm. practicing something else so like for a long time i would talk to women who were in very like you know high ranking business Mm -hmm. positions and had to Wear a certain persona for a lot of the day. We're kind mm-hmm. of forgetting how to even be in an I'm trying to attract persona when the rest of the day you're trying to deflect that kind of attention. Oh. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's just a matter of practicing getting out there and that those social skills can improve. Yeah, I agree. It's definitely a muscle that needs to be flexed and it's scary at first, but I think the more you do it, the less photo you'll feel and the the more comfortable you'll you'll be. Right. And then for the man who is between 45 and 54, who said, I no longer have the self-confidence it takes to successfully date. My advice would be nobody has the self-confidence right now. And just it is more the confidence and the perception of how you're going to be on a date that's probably standing in your way. And if you just got back out there and saw how things really were and saw what it was like to interact with people again, it's kind of like riding a bicycle. 
But I'm going to leave it with your advice to that person since you are so experienced in writing about dating, relationships, sex, and love at Mashable. What would you say to that man who's not feeling the confidence to date successfully? Well, I totally agree with you. No one is self-confident right now. We're all feeling rusty. I think take the knowledge that someone wanted to go out with you for a reason and to be yourself and not be afraid to to be a little weird, I think. I think all of us are a little weirder now. I think a year inside has done that to us and, and to really just not be not let your self-doubt stop you from dating because we all have it, even if it's just like a little part of us. Yes. And we just have to get out there, rip the band-aid off, put your bikini on and let it all hang out. Exactly. <laughs> and let me tell you, exactly. it's all hanging out. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here, Anna. I really enjoyed uh, reading your article in Mashable. We'll link to it in the show notes. And it was wonderful speaking with you and hearing your insights. Yeah. Thank you so much. I I so enjoyed this and I appreciate it. Make sure you check out that article in Mashable. We'll put the link in the show notes. Lovers, don't go anywhere. When I come back, I'll be answering your questions like, is your date a little slutty? <laughs> Spoiler alert. Mm, doesn't matter as much as you think. And how much eye contact is too much eye contact? I'll tell you all about it right after this. Welcome back. I am so excited to answer your juicy, juicy questions in this Dear Demona. Dear Demona. Demona, help me. Our first question of the day was sent to us on Twitter from a listener. I'm just going to warn you, it's a little bit provocative. So if you're listening in the car with other people, maybe put in your AirPods. Okay. She says, I recently went on a Bumble date, but due to the pandemic, we did it at his place. Mistake number one, we got drunk and decided to have sex. And I told him to put on a condom. The condoms were located next to his bed. Two exclamation points. You know, I talked about how punctuation is very important. She continues, since I was drunk, I said, you keep them next to your bed? He said, where else should they be? Then I made a comment that I thought it was kind of slutty. I know people think being safe is sexy, but when you're going on a date and some guy pulls condoms out from next to his bed, you know all he wants is sex. In my opinion, I think it's a red flag. A day after that, he unmatched with me on Bumble. Am I being too judgmental? Should those comments not be said? I don't know if I should shut up or call them out. Well, this is a layered question, so I'm going to unpack it one phrase at a time. But I'm going to start with a question for my listener, because it sounds to me, here's a question. I, I'm wondering if you're more upset at him or you're more upset at yourself for choosing to go to his apartment when, as you put it, mistake number one was getting drunk and then deciding to have sex and going back and, and maybe even starting the date at his place, even though it, it is, you know, there is like a pandemic going on. I don't know that there is a problem with condoms located next to the bed. To me, that sounds responsible. But I think the clue that he was only interested in sex started actually before you got to the bed. It actually started when you began the date at his house. There are plenty of other things, even though there's a pandemic. There are plenty of other dates you could do as a first date that are a little bit less intimate because you have to just think of like the number of steps and the number of barriers for entry. And you've taken a lot of them away by starting the date at their house. Think of generally how many 
how much effort has to be put in and how many decisions have to be made about someone before you usually get to their house if you're not going just for sex. Okay. So those were stripped away and no pun intended. And then you ended up already right there in the bedroom, right? And then you got drunk. So your decision-making ability is compromised. I recommend for my clients that you set a maximum drink limit. I'm five feet tall. So for me, it was one drink. And I know that doesn't sound very sexy, but I knew that after one drink, I was going to make decisions that were no longer clear and not necessarily in my best interest and not something that was in alignment with what I ultimately wanted, which at the time was a relationship. Now, I did have two drinks with my husband. That's another story, but I did not go back to his house or have him at mine because I knew that there was a a line there that if I crossed it, we would be in too fast love and not slow love, and that was not what I was interested in. So I don't think it was your comment, unfortunately, that made him unmatch with you. I do think it's not entirely fair to call him slutty for having condoms next to the bed because to me that shows, yes, he had preparation, but that he cares about both his safety and well-being and yours. But that said, I think it's more that it was not a long-term match, whether he went into it expecting sex or not. The choices and steps aligned in a way that he got that need met. And so once his need is met, what would be the purpose of him continuing to communicate with you on Bumble? I don't think you're being too judgmental. I don't think you should shut up, as you say. I think you should bring your whole self to the date. But I think you also need to get clear if you're making choices, and this is now a message for anyone listening. If you are making choices that the next day you regret, you feel bad about them, you start to second guess them, you feel that they are not the choices that are leading you to the life that you want, then damn it, you better examine those choices again. You better make some commitments with yourself and you know, maybe even process what is deeper, what's going on below the surface that is making you choose things that are ultimately hurtful to yourself and your soul. Because there's something in there. I am a big fan of self-inquiry and uncovering the reason for these kind of choices that you made. And then we move on. We learn from our mistakes, we heal, and we make better choices in the future. So it's totally possible to stop the train to turn things around and not continue to wind up in situations like this. It begins at the, with the agreement with yourself, and then it begins with the first choices you make when you meet that person. My second question comes to us from a listener named Sarah. Hi, Simona. My name is Sarah, and I'm a single 25-year-old gal going on more in-person dates as things are starting to open up again. However, I've been really struggling with my social anxiety, and a big part of that is having a hard time making eye contact, and I know you always talk about how important that is, especially on a first date, and I was wondering if you had any tips or tricks for me that could help me out. Thank you. 
Sarah, thank you so much for this question. I just want to acknowledge that a lot of people are feeling social anxiety right now. Like all of the people are feeling social anxiety. And, you know, I'm an extrovert and I've been living in this little box audio booth for the last year. Like literally, I'm in my studio for 75% of my week. And I get it. I get it. I'm really eager to get back out there into the world, but there is this awkwardness that comes from re-entering it. So I'm going to give you some quick and dirty tips on how to improve your social anxiety and get more comfortable connecting with humans. First of all, don't wait until the date to start to be more comfortable with eye contact. So you can practice and give yourself little challenges throughout the day. Like, I'm just going to make eye contact with the grocery store checker and see what if I can hold the eye contact a little bit longer than normally is comfortable for me or with the waiter at the restaurant, assuming maybe you're maybe outdoors, maybe you're vaccinated and indoors. I don't know where you are. Whichever people you come across in your daily life, start with just extending eye contact with them. And then once you get comfortable with that and you see like you didn't die, nobody judged you, nobody was like, why are you looking at me, weirdo, right? (laughs) That you're okay, you're okay. Then you can escalate it to the date. Now, I just want to clarify for date eye contact, I'm not asking you to like stare them down like you're trying to undress them with your eyes and (laughs) pick them apart and peer into their soul. Eye contact should be flirty eye contact. So it's, we make eye contact, I smile, I look down at my plate, I look up at them and I giggle, I look down at my drink, I look away at somebody else, then I give them eye contact again, okay? It's not, let me stare you down. It's also, let me give you eye contact that confirms that I'm listening. So it's not just like, I have to stare at this person, I have to stare at this person, but for me, if I'm looking at some someone, sometimes I can focus better on the words that they're saying, especially if you're in a loud place where you can't fully hear them that well. We don't even realize how much we actually read lips. Even if you're not hard of hearing, we use the lip movements to be able to understand what somebody means and we read their facial expressions. So it's not just the eyes, it's face contact. It's looking at their entire face so that you can tell the context that they're speaking with. And when you make that good eye contact and then you confirm, it's not just staring, it's, ah, I heard this thing that I can connect to or I can empathize with and I'm nodding my head in agreement or I'm smiling because it made me feel something. You're giving that feedback loop that makes them feel connected and makes them feel heard and appreciated. So it's not just eye contact, it's really connection that you're looking for. And we can just begin with safe people, begin with micro interactions and build yourself into a place of feeling like you can safely do it on a date. Don't think you're going to go from zero to 60 right out of the gate, hot girl summer. (laughs) Just be kind to yourself and celebrate those little wins, those little triumphs and growths that you can experience And that is the feeling that will build your confidence to the point where you can be more comfortable and be more yourself when you're on your next date. Thank you so much to those of you who sent in questions. Remember, my DMs are always open. You can send me 
a voice memo, you can give me a call like Sarah did at 424-246-6255. You can call anytime, day or night, and leave me a voicemail, and you could end up on a future episode of Dates and Mates. This one was number 365. Definitely check out Anna Iovini's article in Mashable. We'll put a link in the show notes and look out for clips and tips and all kinds of other goodies on my socials. You can follow me at Damona Hoffman. I'll be back again next week with Stuart Gill, who you might know from the show Labor of Love, where he was a good example of the kind of marriage-minded man you might be looking for. Until then, I wish you happy dating.